Welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Wonderman Thompson Technology, in which we reimagine customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. I'm Josie Klafkowska, Global Marketing Director for Wonderman Thompson Technology, and I'm guest hosting today while our regular host, Gemma, takes a well-earned day off. B2B e-commerce worldwide is forecast to surpass $20 trillion by 2027. And with online already accounting for 49% of all purchases, it's not surprising that B2B customers are demanding more. In fact, 92% of buyers say they're looking for a B2C experience when making business purchases. In this month's episode of The Experience Makers, we're talking to Wonderman Thompson Technologies' Kieran McCann, and Sitecore's Aswin Manapoli about what B2B organizations need to do to win online. Join us as we outline the rationale for adopting a personalized customer-centric approach and consider the benefits of a seamless and unified customer journey for B2B buyers. So I'm joined in the Experience Makers virtual studio today by Aswin Manapoli, who is the industry principal of manufacturing at Sitecore, and by Kieran McCann, who is Director of Strategy at Wonderman Thompson Technology. So it would be great if you could just tell me a little bit about yourselves and your roles, and then we'll carry on the conversation from there. Over to you, Aswin. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be on this podcast. So as you mentioned, I'm the industry principal for manufacturing with a specialization on automotive, but not just automotive, high tech, and a few other sort of discrete industries. And I have two broad mandates. The first is to be able to articulate the value proposition of our products and services in a very industry-specific way. But I think the second thing is equally important, which is to be the voice of the customer within the organization, really be able to sort of advocate for them and their needs within our broader organization when it comes to experience, search, commerce, anything that the B2B customer needs. Amazing. Thank you. And what about you, Kieran? Uh, well, actually, this is the second time I've been on one of these podcasts. So it was quite nice to be invited back. Uh, so I should uh, say I, hello again. Yeah. So my role is as Director of Strategy uh, for Wonderman Thompson Technology. And uh, I guess I have two things that I do in that role. The first one is we expect things to happen in the future and to uh, plan our company strategy appropriately. I also work with clients to help them to develop their own uh, technology strategies around uh, customer experience. Prior, I've, So I've been at Wonderman Thompson six years. And prior to that, uh, I was on client side and I worked as a uh, B2B marketing director for about 15 years, uh, primarily in telecoms and technology. So, uh, so I think I've got some experience on both sides of the ledger. So yeah, absolutely fantastic B2B experience in the studio today. Now, I know that Wonderman Thompson and Sitecore have just launched uh, an essential guide on the importance of personalization within the B2B customer journey. So I would love to sort of start by talking a little bit about, you know, why personalization in particular is important to B2B businesses. And and if you could think a little bit about sort of what's changed that's put this so firmly on the map and what organizations stand to gain by either getting it right or what they stand to lose through inaction. Yeah, I think this is a perfect question to ask. And I think it's one of the things that was really resonating in the boardrooms and 
of the manufacturing space. And to me, the key thing that seems to be happening are there's two major axes that are kind of driving this change or driving this conversation. The first is obviously the entire world is, it's almost as if someone shook the world in like it was a big box and resettled all the contents. And so there's an immense amount of change. And in the manufacturing space, in the B2B space, there's an incredible amount of everyone is questioning nearly every part of the value chain and asking, why can't it be done differently? And I think that's the overarching message. And that's creating this incredible landscape of people fundamentally reconceptualizing what this can be and why personalization matters so much, at least in when I've been kind of hearing and having conversations with is it's all about profitability. And this is a very margin rich conversation to be had because what ends up happening is at first when personalization started, we were thinking about this idea of, oh, it's a nice to have on the website, you know, it'll help with your millennial workforce. But because of COVID, what's really happening is they want to make sure that every bit of a customer's architecture is going to use your product. So for example, if you're working with a semiconductor maker, every part of your product that you're designing, you want to make sure it's uh, using your products. It's a classic cross-sell, upsell sort of game. And personalization is a fantastic way in order to give the people, the design engineers, exactly what they need and to be able to serve that in a way so that you can complete this cross-sell, upsell motion in a completely seamless way. And that's going to drive profits and so on. So it's a business laden reason for doing personalization. Yeah. And I guess as when what kind of the last two years took away from B2B organizations was that ability at a very personal level to drive those cross-sells and upsells. And that's why kind of the onus now is, is on digital and, and, you know, digital giving organizations the capability to do that without necessarily that human to human interaction. Kieran, it would be great to, to hear from you on, on that as well. Well, I'm going to give you a very contradictory answer. That's um, good. We like a bit of that. <laughs> because I'm going to say that everything has changed, but in some ways everything is actually just the same as it always was. Uh, you know, It used to be that that was contained within the industry that we worked in. Uh, but now we're com- when it comes to experience, we're competing with everyone and we're competing with the people who do it the best. Uh, so as soon as somebody raises the bar in terms of how they deliver customer experience, they're, they're raising that bar for everyone. Uh, so there's kind of been this arms race of you know, doing more and more, and personalization has become more and more sophisticated. And where that's primarily happened has been in the B2C space. I, I guess that's really been driven by the fact that people want to deliver better experiences, but um, because quite often the selling relationship in B2C is not a, a face to, always a face-to-face relationship, there's kind of been a lot of focus on how do you scale that using technology. So that's kind of part, I think, of what's changed. The expectations of all buyers have changed, and buyers, buyers in B2B are also buyers in B2C, and so their level of expectation has been pushed up by the types of consumer experiences they have. Um, but at the same time, when we look at, at B2B, uh, I would say that B2B has always been about personalizing. Uh, it's just done it in a kind of an old-fashioned way. So 
fundamentally, if you're a B2B organization who sells primarily to clients, effectively what you've been paying for in that uh, often not, uh, you know, that those sales teams are not cheap to run. They're, you know, the salespeople are often well paid. Uh, what you're paying for is the ability to personalize your service offering or your product offering to the customers that those salespeople serve. And good salespeople in B2B understand their customers, they build relationships, they know what their customers are looking for, and they pitch the right products to the right people at the right time. That's what you pay for. And so in that regard, I would say that uh, personalization is kind of not a new thing. What's new is the way in which we're starting to see it done. Absolutely. And if I can just add one thing, and Kieran, I absolutely love the way that you talked about it, as in this is not just something that happened in two years. There's a prehistory to this that has been going on for decades. And this is the way you sell, right? As in you form these alliances, relationships, and you give them what you want. And something that struck out to me is that the B2B motion is very complex, right? There's a buyer, there's an approver, there's a whole constellation of people that have to be activated. And what's amazing to me is personalization becomes exponentially more difficult when you're dealing with all of these stakeholders. And that's a very interesting challenge. And I think that's something technology is uniquely, uniquely positioned in order to solve that at these various manufacturing companies in order to smooth those experiences. And really, as I said, I think the simplicity of what you said is really appealing, getting the right product to the right person at the right time. And just to bring it back, actually, Kieran, to the, to, to the customer, because, um, you know, Aswin started talking out about profitability, and we all know that a, that a happy customer leads to kind of increased profitability, and that's what we all want at the end of the day. But what what has the research that you have been doing together revealed about these B2B, let's call them stakeholders, because we've already identified that there are, you know, various different personas, but who are they and what do they actually want? I mean, I think one of my favorite uh, kind of graphs or charts that I created is I just really wanted to understand one day what a B2B buying experience looks like. And one day I'll share it with you, but there's over like 100 different connectors and different flows going in and out in terms of who decision makers are, what sort of decisions have to happen. So bottom line, it is incredibly complicated. And I think Please feel free to add more stuff to this, Kieran. But the idea is, I think there's usually some sort of buying manager. There's someone who's kind of coming out and designing the spec, and they want to kind of make sure that they're designing the architecture. So that's another constituency. There's an approver, and there's a few other kind of uh, major sort of centers in terms of influencing the buying decision. But I see those as being very, very top of mind. And I'll use the high-tech example because it's fresh on my mind. 70% of you know writing the spec, trying to find the suppliers and so on, a lot of it is being done by the design engineers. So that's a persona that a lot of uh, companies are kind of going towards, skewing towards and so on. But it's just impossible to ignore the others. And it's just a constellation that just keeps growing over time. Yeah, I, th- I think it is complicated. And I think I, I tend to think of it as um, that it, there's two levels, right? So one is the, the you know, the right, for, for want of a better word, the legal entity level, basically the, the, the entire uh, customer that you're sending to, selling to the the corporation that you're selling to, you know they operate in an, in an industry. 
they have characteristics that are kind of unique to that organization. And when you're making something relevant to them, you've got to take that into account. So you've got to do it on that level. But then you also have to do it on the level of those different buyers and those people who play different roles within the, the buying process. And so, you know, you can see that it starts looking like a bit of a matrix where you've got, you know, your, your industry or the, the, the characteristics of that particular organization. And then across, you've got kind of the, the roles of the different influences in that purchase process. And it, and it is a complex process. And, you know, we're not talking about, you know, a, a, a $70 pair of, you know, shoes. We're talking about quite often, you know, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. And, and the, the bigger it gets, the longer and more complex that process becomes. And, um, you know, you, you've got to have a plan for how you're going to manage personalization throughout the buying process. But I would say it even extends further than that. It goes, you know, even once you've sold, you still have to maintain that personalized experience through the, the in-life process with those customers as well. So, you know, it's all well and good if, if I'm the main stakeholder and, you know, I, I get taken out to lunch by my, by my account manager and, you know, they, they know my daughter's birthdays and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's all great. But if I then have an issue and I need to get in touch with customer services, and I'm treated like a number, suddenly all of that goodwill kind of runs down the drain. So it's, it is complex, but it's not unmanageable. And I think that's something that you just touched on there, Kieran, which is really interesting. You know, the, it's not just about the transaction. The, the kind of loyalty side of this is, is where a huge amount of kind of uh, B2B marketing effort goes as well. And in fact, I think I read in your guide that 55% of US B2B buyers switched all suppliers in the first 12 months of the pandemic. So that's kind of a really scary statistic and, and sort of shows you what the, you know, the price of inaction is. So with that in mind, um, let's talk a little bit about why we think personalization is such an important aspect, not just of the, the buying process, but of the whole kind of customer life cycles. You know, it, it, I always like to come back to the fact that we, we are, you know, we are humans and we, whether we're at work or whether we're doing something for ourselves, um, we like the same sorts of things. You know, we like our experiences to be rich. We like them to be frictionless. You know, we, we don't want it to be hard work. Uh, and we like them to be relevant. You know, I want to feel valued. I want to feel uh, important. And in fact, I, I think that sense of feeling valued is almost greater in a B2B relationship because of the value of the relationship, really, you know, in, in monetary terms. So fr from that perspective, I think that those are the things that, that customers are expecting. And that sense of feeling valued is not just, you know, probably the worst um, the worst way to make somebody feel valued is to, you know, be nice to them when you want something, i.e. when there's a contract to be signed, and then to forget about them once the business is done. And I think B2B and B2C are the same in that regard. Yeah, no, and I actually, Aswin, I, I wonder whether kind of with your experience and your role at Sitecore, you've got any examples, you know, what kind of 
good can look like in this space? What what you know what does good look like when an organization is really getting it right for their customers? Absolutely. And I think the points that both of you have been making are really something that we take on board, which is it's just not transactional anymore. The deal doesn't end when you shake hands. Because one of the things that manufacturers do in order to compete in the 21st century is they want to become service businesses, which is it's just not making a product and selling it. They want to have that lifetime relationship so they can offer add-on services, um, aftermarket service, all of the things that we think of, especially with IoT coming on board, the devices are connected. So there's an entire timeline that's established after the sale. And the things that we find are really, really important is personalization is a finger um, finger touch away, whether it's in some sort of application or anything else like that. So if you have any problem, if you have any issue, you can just quickly click on a button or you quickly get some recommendations on the across sell upsell. I keep coming back to that, but it's all about defending the margin, growing the margin. So we're seeing some great stuff in say the the heavy industry, where we're really starting to see a lot of connected devices really take off and establish that end-to-end personalization so that the services businesses are as strong and as robust as, say, just the pure transactional one-and-done type of deals. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we're starting now, uh, which is great, because kind of where I wanted to take the conversation anyway, to think a little bit more about the different use cases, really. So we've talked, you know, broadly about why why personalization is so important and, uh, you know, about the sort of growth and profitability that it can push. But um, before we get on to talk specifically about the technologies involved, c- can you guys talk to me a little bit about some of those different use cases? You know, we've talked about, you know, kind of, um, next product suggestions, you know, potentially looking at kind of like simplified options for buying in bulk and things like that. Um, what else is quite unique to the B2B space when it comes to the use cases for personalization? So uh, let me kind of uh, talk about two things that have excited me in the past month, two sorts of interactions that I've had. And one is a very basic thing and one is more sci-fi. So the very basic thing is the manufacturing space is, I would say, not as digitally mature in some spaces where you consider some of the other industries out there. So very quick, basic wins, such as making sure that, for example, all of your data sheets can be read by some sort of um, your system so that it's just not an image file. So you can do search on it, for example. It's a way of kind of surfacing that information and you can have automated processes when you personalize that and provide the right data sheet at the right time. Very basic win, very quick win, and it's very easy to do. Things like having 2D and 3D CAD models, for example, very easy to do. Very quick wins, and this is just something that can be done with relatively little effort. We know it's a solved problem. It's been solved in many different places. So that is something that's easy to do, and that's what I would recommend. More sci-fi type of example, and I'm thinking about this, is when we start talking about personalization, my mind, I've actually seen quite interesting use cases of this. What if the distance between the physical and the digital were kind of made so fine as so that it wouldn't be distinguishable in terms of the metaverse, for example. 
what if you could go to a virtual sort of place where you can go and have a conversation with someone and they would just be like, hey, here's a product for you. Here's the lot size, what we're thinking and so on. Obviously, it's much more complicated in the B2B spaces. Karen and I were joking about it. But this is where it is doable with current technology. So to me, it's really exciting because think of all the cost savings that could be had when you don't have to book air travel and when you don't have to do all of these on-site inspections, but really be able to say that the I love this word, it's physical, the difference between physical and digital, just mixed together in this one seamless fashion. And to me, those are two use cases that are really kind of up to mind, which is something you can do today, something you can do in the next five years or so. And I think also, you know, I love uh, sort of Aswin painting a picture there of kind of, you know, warehousing in the metaverse. But I suppose it's kind of all about as well how uh, how we bring kind of technology into physical warehouses as well and, and sort of, you know, join those two journeys, which we'll go on to talk a bit more about uh, in a minute. But um, can we just talk a little bit about the implications for technology itself? And again, Aswin, I'm going to come to you first on this one. You know, what's, what is Sitecore really seeing that B2B organizations are, are kind of, you know, needing more of technology-wise to, to get these customer journeys right for their B2B customers? And there's just an incredible amount of work and interest that we're seeing out in the marketplace for things that allow brands, B2B brands, to really monetize their relationships and build these ecosystems. And I think what's interesting is, and again, I keep coming back to this uh, finance-centric view of things, which is essentially, you don't necessarily want to carry a lot of inventory because you don't want to house it. You don't want to kind of pay for all of that stuff. What if you could connect someone, a supplier in your space for a replacement part directly with the end customer and take a bit of a transaction fee, for example? So being able to do that in a highly personalized way and kind of owning that lifetime relationship and saying that, oh, we think you might have a part that might be defective based on some advanced uh, data modeling using a digital twin that we're working off of. So here's a personalized recommendation for you, and we can send a qualified contractor to fix that for you. And all of this working through that orchestration bit of being able to put someone, you know, a company that you worked with in the past, I think that unlocks so much value for meeting supply and demand. So the marketplaces are something that I see as an immense, immense value driver for this space. And if you're able to serve marketplaces with a personalized lens, I do think that is an incredible recipe for success. Well, you know, uh, you just got me thinking there as well around some of the things that we're seeing uh, on the commerce side of our business. And, um, you know, I think AI is, you know, inevitably, I don't think any conversation these days, you know, doesn't end up with someone talking about AI. But one of the things that it really, really changes in, in the world of personalization is, you know, if you've used like a marketing automation tool, always had a frustration with them is that it kind of sits, you have to build it on a static set of rules and you have to hope you get those rules right. And I, I can guarantee that if you, you know, you set up some sort of campaign and you set up your, your rule set, it's never going to be right the first time. And, and there's this kind of auto, you know, these rounds of manual tweaking until you eventually get it running right. And maybe that takes you six months to do. Um, 
you apply AI and machine learning to that problem, and it happens mm. much quicker than you could do it yourself. Uh, and you can do many more sophisticated things with it. And so, you know, some of the things that are happening around commerce is, you know, machine learning tools that are that you know they learn the patterns of sales of your products. And you know, say for example, if something's seasonal, um, it recognizes that this product over time has been seasonal, and it recognizes that the end of your available season for selling that product is coming to an end. So it will proactively suggest, why don't you, you know, do a price promotion or you know something on these particular items because you have quite a lot of them in your inventory. Um, if you don't sell them now, it'll be another you know six months before you will get to sell them again. And I, this is kind of mind blowing, really, because that's where your your whole commerce system starts almost becoming autonomous. And then you start, you know, you can actually focus on the new things or the the more interesting things. And you know, I, I think while a lot of us are worried that maybe AI might replace our jobs, I, I really think that. Yes, that might be true, but uh, also it could let us focus on kind of a, the fun parts of our jobs rather than the, the, the bits that are perhaps a little bit tedious. Absolutely. If you could uh, leave inventory management to a smart machine and sort of think about, you know, what's really going to drive the profitability in the next season, then that's that's got to be a good thing, right? It's yeah. very interesting. And I'd kind of like to stay on that vein for a little bit because um, – the research uh, that you have carried out has revealed a number of ways in which B2B buyers would like to see purchasing become more frictionless. Um, and I'd really like to talk about that for a little bit. So I know it mentioned you know, things like smartphone apps, AR technology, QR codes, and that sort of thing. What do you, I mean, maybe we could just kind of talk about the art of the possible for a moment and, and you know, what we think we're going to see with some of those technologies in future. Sure. I mean, the thing that I really like is the AR technology, because I think, Josie, something you said, which kind of is resonating in my mind and I'm kind of marinating on it, is the idea of it's just not bringing technology into, say, the customer relationship, but also embedding that customer relationship within, say, the warehouses, the C-suite, and so on and so forth. So that digital intimacy is not necessarily between some monolithic brand, as it were, and the customers out there, but within people in the organization. So you atomize the or B2B organization into its constituent parts, which is people having other relationships with other people. And I think that ability to personalize in that kind of deeper two-dimensional sort of way, I think it's really exciting to me. And it, as I talked about, the metaverse is something that's really important. And it has to be populated by real people. Again, we can go even sci-fi and create these AI avatars and all of this other stuff. But focusing on the immediate future, I really like the idea of disaggregating this monolithic manufacturer, for example, in scare quotes, into its constituent parts, into, into its people, and that ability to personalize and kind of be a sort of lubricant for those relationships, I think is really, really exciting to me. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that um there's there's kind of like there's kind of a you know maybe it happens also in in traditional selling but there's kind of a facilitation role uh, that has has to happen between stakeholders in a business because you know 
every business that there are people that they have their day jobs and you know it's very easy to view them as kind of one big monolith and they all work completely seamlessly but people within organizations have their own requirements their own agendas and quite often part of that selling process is to try and smooth the waters between the people that you're dealing with within that organization and so you know for example if if you've got somebody who wants to buy your product or service um and you know it's a it's a reasonably large size purchase there's going to have to be some sort of financial approval process and some sort of business case for that to be done and in in um you know classic old sort of selling approaches you'd help somebody to build their own business case for the investment and i think um you can make those tools available to your buyer so if if you know who's what role somebody is playing in the process you can equip them with the tools that are relevant to them so um they're able to have a conversation about uh about the right things with the other stakeholders and you could also prime the stakeholders to be ready for you know to ask the right questions to make sure that they're satisfied so there is kind of like a i think if you think about how you would personalize the experience and the content that that you would make available to the different stakeholders in that process you could actually smooth the process out and make their lives easier absolutely and i think you know certainly that one of the use cases for that i suppose is very much on kind of reordering you know all of those things that you you are constantly going back to and and reordering i mean you know we, I think the research threw up as well that, you know, 21% of respondents said that they would like to be able to use Alexa to do some of those more just kind of repetitive tasks within their B2B commerce journey. Um, are, are we seeing any organizations using things like that already? Or is that still, you know, quite a way off within the B2B space? No, I think, you know, in fact, we had a challenge from a uh, financial services organization. Um, this is going back three, four years ago now, where what they wanted to do, that they have a huge amount of content. Like, you know, when I say their, their website was over 100,000 pages of very dense advisory content for different industries. And that was very hard to find. And one of the things that they wanted to do was to get rid of kind of a, a keyboard-based search capability and have a more conversational type interface where somebody could just ask, I, I would like to find out information about these topics. And it would understand what they were saying and deliver that to them. I just want to add one thing to it, which is that one of the nightmares in the B2B pro, uh, pro, buying process is the configure price quote, the CPQ process. And one of the things, because it's just so bespoke, it needs so much attention, so many configurations that it could lead to a lot of headache. And an exciting project that we've been involved with is figuring out how to use assistants like Alexa and so on in order to make the CPU process as seamless as possible. And so that's something that is definitely on the horizon, happening now, not on the horizon. So we've kind of almost come full circle and we're back now to those sort of old fashioned values that really sustain a good ongoing customer relationship anyway. Um, but it's just we've got so much fantastic technology we can throw at it these days. Um, 
so we've come to that point in the conversation where we ask uh, you guys to give sort of practical advice to, um, you know, supposing I'm a, a B2B client talking to you today and I'm perhaps reviewing, you know, some of the tactical um, moves that I had to make during COVID just to sort of stay afloat and that kind of thing. What, what advice would you be giving me today to make sure that, you know, the decisions I'm making when it comes to personalization in the B2B space are kind of strategic, long-term and driving towards growth? I can start on that one. The first thing is just be absolutely clear what you're aiming to get out of it. So, you know, personalization is not, like I said, it's not an end in itself. Be clear about what outcome you're trying to achieve and then think about how uh, personalization might be able to help with that outcome. So think about problems that you're solving. I think that would be the, the first thing. Um, the second thing is um, understand your uh, customer or the person that you're trying to reach. Um, personalization lives and dies on good quality data and insight. And if you get it wrong, uh, it can go badly wrong. I think for B2B organizations, they've got quite an advantage over B2C because they actually they know their buyers well and they, they have a lot more information at their disposal than, than a B2C company does. And I would say make use of that. And the third thing I would say is, you know, kind of along the same lines, which is be clear about the roles that each of those um, people and personalization is about people. Um, be clear about, uh, you know, what those people do and how you can help them make their experience better. So that would be my three tips, I would say. So really back to some good old, old marketing strategy before you uh, apply any technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. And Aswin, what about you? So I'd add two things to that, which is number one, which is the idea of think about what your customers need and do the hard work that it takes to ask them to do the research and really be empathetic in that sense. Because as Kieran mentioned, and I think he articulated on this quite well, which is the idea is it's not some sort of magical cure that will just make everything better. It's designed, personalization is a very specific role in order to fulfill some sort of business objective that you have. So it's that trying to figure out what your customers need and being able to articulate that is going to be absolutely important. And the second thing that I would say is it's not going to happen overnight. And I think there's a certain amount of road mapping that needs to happen. What are the first quick wins that I need to have in the organization so that people can coalesce around this initiative? It's easy to start. It's, it's important to start small, very targeted, and then slowly ramp up your journey. Because if you say, I want the metaverse tomorrow and everything yeah. falls apart, that's destructive for the whole initiative and the organization. Very interesting. Well, guys, I think that about wraps it up. It's been really great talking to you this afternoon. And I think there's some great tips there for, you know, customers who are starting out on this journey or, as I say, kind of, you know, reviewing where they are within this journey. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Wonderman Thompson technology podcast. You can follow us at One Thompson Tech 
on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit us at wondermanthompson.com. Today, we've been discussing the findings of personalizing the B2B commerce experience, the first of four guides in a brand new B2B vendor series from Wonderman Thompson and Sitecore. Click the link in the episode synopsis to access the entire series. And join our regular host, Gemma Mill, next month to hear more from the experience makers as we continue to delve into the MarTech trends that are helping businesses to win in the experience economy.